Would you remain standing this morning for the reading of the Word of God? Thank you so much, worship. That's my favorite worship song lately. That's my jam. Hey, when I'm writing my sermon, that's what I put on. I love it. I can put, I can get my 10,000 steps on my Fitbit in just from that worship song. Hallelujah. How many believe that today, that that's more than just a word on a screen, that my God is in control? With man, nothing is possible, but with God, all things are possible. Can I just go ahead with your permission to jump right into this thing? Because I've got a word that is burning inside of me that was birthed in me just a few weeks ago. I've been waiting to get this thing out of me. So just get ready because I believe that God is going to take us all for a ride. If you've been on social media, you know what I'm about to start. I want to preach a brand new series today. This is hot off of the, the press. This is fresh, man. It's fresh bread. It's warm bread that I have entitled Wilderness Times. And if you're on social media today, I want you to be taking notes. I want you to share what you're learning with everybody else in this community. This, this series is aimed, to be honest with you, at answering some of life's toughest questions. Have you ever gone through a wilderness? Have you ever been in a dry and barren land? Have you ever been in a place to where you're saying, Oh God, where are you? You feel used and you feel abused. You feel unappreciated. You're thirsty in a dry place. You're hungry and, and there's nothing to sustain you. You cry out only to feel like nobody is even paying attention to your cries. What do you do? Where do you turn? And most importantly, how do I get out of this desert? Where's the exit, pastor? Can I just give you a word of encouragement before we read the word? You are right where God wants you. God has not forgotten about you. You are in a place to grow, and you are in a place where you rely only on Him. Wilderness times, are you ready? Let's do this thing. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 1, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and the Bible says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at that time, and he became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said, I will give you glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. The devil said, Because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. And Jesus replied, hey, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. And since you quoted scripture, I'm going to quote some scripture too. He will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, well, the scriptures also say, 
you may know the Bible, but I know the one who wrote the Bible. In fact, I'm related to him. The scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. And then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled, oh my, with the Holy Spirit's power. And reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. We are a church that preaches your word. We are a church that stands on your word. I believe in your word. What is more anointed than your word? Nothing, God. And so I pray today, help us all to learn, to glean, and to glow from your word. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Those who love him one more time, say amen. Amen, amen. Look at your neighbor one last time and say, get ready. Get ready, get ready. You know, as Eric Danner, the man, I love this time of year. For those of, of you that know me on a personal level, you know that I love politics. I love to watch the debates. I love to see the polls. In fact, one of the first things I do every morning is I go on Google and I look at the latest polls. It's just a hobby of mine. It, it interests me. And, and as Eric Danner, the person, I love it. But as Eric Danner, the pastor, I can't stand it because of what it does to the body of Christ. Lately, in the past few election cycles, I've seen during, a, during this time of year, the body of Christ literally being ripped apart because of who they want to vote for, what candidate they believe lines up most with their beliefs. In fact, I was on social media the other day, and one pastor went on there complaining, don't ever do that, by the way. Go to the person. The Bible says, you know, this ain't in my notes, and I could get in trouble. I'm about to get back on my notes. But the Bible says if you got ought with somebody, if you got beef with someone, you got a problem, go to that person. Let me tell you something. In this church, you better not go to the phone. You better go to the throne. I'll let that sink in for just a few moments. But this pastor went on Facebook, and he was complaining because somebody in his own church defended him and then blocked him. because of a particular stance politically that he made in the pulpit. I, I can't stand this time of the year, and you, to be honest with you, I've gone on, on several different news networks, and I've heard more than one time where people are coming against the church because the church is coming against itself. The world at this time literally laughs at us because instead of being in unity, this is the one time every four years where we say, oh, no, 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 you're wrong. It's not my opinion to judge you. It's not, let me, let me rephrase that. It is not my responsibility to judge you on the candidate of who you are going to vote for in November. You will stand before the Lord and give an account. You're not going to stand in this pulpit and give an account. In this pulpit, we're going to preach the Word of God. And so here is my edification to the church. 
we have the greatest opportunity to share a never-changing message, and that message is Jesus during this time. When other churches have people that are defending and blocking their pastor, no matter the candidate of who you're going to vote for in November, we are going to be unified inside of this place. Why? Because now, more than ever in my life, I want my life to emulate, and I want my life to exude Jesus Christ. I want people, it's not a fleshly desire, but it's a, it's a desire to be more like Christ, where people, when they're around me, they notice that something is different inside of me. It's not so that I can be built up, it's so that Christ can be built up in me. Now more than ever, I want to be more like him. I've come to a place in my life, y'all, where I realize that I am 100% okay with. I'm fine with it. I accept it. It's cool. That I decrease so that he may increase. But how many in this place would admit with me that that statement is a whole lot easier said than done? It sounds good, y'all. It preaches good. In fact, when I say it, I know that I'm going to get more than just one amen. And so whenever I feel like you're not responding to me in this message, I'll probably go back to that statement so that someone will give me one amen today. But I am okay with decreasing so that Jesus Christ can increase in my life. But when it comes time to apply it, uh-oh. You want to know why it's so hard? You want to know why that, that, that phrase is difficult to apply in your life? Because it requires you to grow. The Bible says that when Jesus was a young man, he grew in wisdom and in stature. Why is it so difficult to become more like Christ? It's because it requires the believer, it requires the Christian to grow. And sometimes growing hurts. I remember when I was a teenager, I had to go to the doctor, and I was diagnosed with growing pains. How many have ever been there before? Man, that junk hurts. It kept me up at night. As I would go through a growth spurt, literally I would have pain in, in my extremities, in, in my legs, and in my arms. It was difficult. But here's the truth. I realized even as a teenager that if I wanted to get to that next chapter in my life, then I had to go through the growing pains. We've got too many people in the church. They want the opportunities. They want to go to that next level. They want the breakthrough, but they don't ever want to have to be broken. And I realize more than ever in my life that if God is going to take Eric Danner as the man, as a person, to that next level, I've got to become smaller so that he can become even bigger in my life. And to do that, I've got to continually grow because you see whatever makes you uncomfortable is your biggest opportunity for growth because how many would would admit with me today that if it does not challenge you it will not change you and i don't know about you but i want to be challenged 
Why? Because I want to be changing more into him every day. I don't want to just operate in the same anointing. I don't want to just pray the same mundane, average, everyday prayers that I always have prayed. I've been praying lately, oh God, get me out of my comfort zone. You know, comfort zones are funny things. In that zone, you find comfort. Man, that's Comfort zones are a funny thing. A comfort zone is a beautiful place, but here's the reality that nothing will ever grow in a comfort zone. Somebody hear me in this place. You have got to have the courage if you ever want to get to that next chapter and that next step to become more like Jesus Christ. You have got to have the courage to actually take a step. Take a step into the unknown. Take a step. Be willing to go someplace that you have never gone before in your entire life. Have the courage and the... I must decrease so that he may increase. Thank you so much for talking back to me today. I realize that I must take a step out of the mundane, out of the average, out of the natural. Because my God has never called me to play it safe. He has called me to operate in the supernatural. I'm tired of playing it safe. I'm tired of of being just this normal, average, everyday Christian. I want a revival that sweeps across this region. I want blind eyes open. I want to line up across this platform, wheelchairs and canes, from people who have never walked to get out of it and start walking again. I want to see people sitting down in these pews that you never thought in your wildest dreams would be sitting next to you. I want families to come back together again. I want prodigal sons to come home. I want black people and white people and Asian people and Indian people and Chinese people and South America, every other kind of people that I'm not even mentioning right now. To come together and to be okay no matter what the color of your skin is. Because here's the deal. The blood of Jesus Christ runs red for all of us. Somebody say yes. I want to get out of the boring and I want to operate within the fire of the almighty God. You got to take a step. You willing to take a step with me today? If you're willing, look at your neighbor and say, take a step. Look at your other neighbor and say, I told you to take a step. Look at somebody behind, I'm commanding you. I take authority at non plan. We come to our text this morning. Jesus is about to enter into his wilderness time. And when you begin to look at the chronological order of the scriptures. He is entering the wilderness after being on a mountaintop experience. Mark chapter 1 teaches us within the synoptic gospels that, that Jesus had just been publicly baptized when a powerful word of affirmation from his father 
It opens up the heavens, and through the form of a dove, God speaks and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In essence, how many know you can't get better than that? When you hear the promise of your Father tell you, I'm proud of you. You know, even at 30 years of age, when my daddy tells me, attaboy, man, Life is good on the mountaintop. How many could admit? On the mountaintop, man, there's not a care in the world, is there? Everything's going good. You just got a raise. You got a girlfriend. You got a new car. You got a new job. You're getting all A's. Come on, somebody. Your marriage is good. Your children are behaving. There's no more sickness in your house. God, I claim that one on my life. In Jesus' name. You paid off your bills. You got hair growing back. <laughs> Pastor Darnell and And you're just on the mountaintop, man, you're happy. When you're around people, people can say, "Man, you're on the mountaintop." That's right, I am. You dress good. You walk with just a little bit of swag. Even though you drive a minivan, come on, it's a swagger wagon. You find fulfillment and certainty on the mountaintop. On the mountaintop, you have no worries. On the mountaintop, how many know you can see vast distances where you can see what is in front of you? And how many know when you can see what is in front of you, you feel secure? Thank God for the mountaintops because, to be honest with you, without the mountaintops, life would be unbearable. If I didn't have a mountaintop every so often, my goodness gracious... I may have pastor attached to my name, but out of this pulpit, I would be depressed. I'd be angry, be mad, be worried all the time. I'm thankful for the mountaintops because it makes me appreciate the wilderness even more. And how many know God never intended for you to stay on the mountaintop? You can't stay on a mountaintop forever. Sooner or later, you've got to come down from the mountaintop and walk back in the valley because, to be honest with you, the valley is where the people are at. The desert is where you're going to experience life. It's where it's lived. It's, it's where you have to face your problems. It's, it's where you have to look, learn to look to God for solutions. Everyone wants to live on the mountaintop, but the growth occurs in the wilderness beneath it. And the same spirit, hear me, that descended upon Jesus at his baptismal is now, according to Mark's version of the story, is driving Jesus into the wilderness. Within a split second, the same Holy Spirit that descended upon Jesus as he arose out of the water. As soon as Jesus heard, I'm proud of you, boy. Now the Holy Spirit is saying, I've got to get you out of the mountaintop, and I'm about to drive you 
somewhere that you're not going to want to go. The Greek word drive, it is the word ekbalo, which means to cause a thing to move on towards its, its intended goal, to lead one away with a force that cannot resist. The Holy Spirit is saying to Jesus, I'm forcing you into the wilderness because there's a goal that we've got to attain. In other words, the Holy Spirit is saying to Jesus, the baptismal was to glorify you, but only God can get a glory in a wilderness. There's a purpose in your wilderness. I've got to get you out of here. It's great. It's nice. It makes you feel good, but I'm driving you out because there's a goal that mankind needs to see you achieve. And Jesus leaves this place of comfort. And he leaves a place of spiritual ecstasy to a barren, bleak, dry, Judean wilderness called Quarantel. And Quarantel in the Greek, it means 40. When we think of a wilderness, how many would admit with me that you think of a land that is lush, it's green, it, there's rivers and there's fish, and man, there's tents, and it's, it's a fun place to be when you're camping, and you have everybody else that fishes for you and sets up that tent. Hallelujah. But this was not the wilderness that Jesus had entered. In fact, Quarantel was a desert, and deserts are uncomfortable. Deserts are unfamiliar. Deserts are unfair. The term desert applies to a region of the earth characterized by less than 10 inches of rainfall throughout the year. Daytime temperatures can rise up to 131 degrees Fahrenheit in the shade and then at night dip below 33 degrees freezing in the evening. They are arid places with, with no vegetation and there's no water supply in the desert. It's a frustrating place. But hear me, church. This is not a message about how you can avoid a desert. We've got enough preachers that are telling you exactly what your itching ears want to hear. This is not a message about how you can avoid such a time and such a place because to be honest with you, deserts will shape your life. You see, the place of frustration is often the place of your preparation. God can never use you until you have been prepared. I was speaking with a young man in my church the other day who was asking to preach in this pulpit. And he said, you know what, I just want to get up there and I just want to hold that microphone and we'll see what comes out of my mouth. And I said, eh, wrong answer. By a vow, baby. Because God can never promote what you have not prepared. Before you ever preach the word of God, before you ever minister in his name, you better make sure that you're prayed up, that you're studied up, that you're walking in tune with the Holy Spirit. Because how many know there's a value in your desert? When you're lonely, you learn to hear only him. Oh my goodness. When you're hungry, you know to only eat of his word. 
When you're thirsty and you find that he is the only supply that can quench your thirst, don't look, don't hear, hear me, don't ever look for the exit out of the desert. Embrace the season of the desert. The Bible says that he was led by the Spirit in the, new, in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time, and the Bible says that he became very weak. At the beginning of the year, if you're new to our church, you know that during the entire month of January, we do something together called the Daniel Fast. I don't like to fast because it's not fast. It needs to be called slow because it lasts forever. And I'm okay with not eating sweets. I'm cool with that. I've cut sweets out a long time ago in my life. Unless I was on vacation where I ate about 11 caramel apples from Disney World. Get off me. Don't you dare judge me. And I'm okay with not eating sweets, but it's the meats that gets me. Because in the Daniel fast, really just vegetables and fruit and nasty salad, and that's pretty much the only it's rabbit food the entire month of January. To get my protein in, I'm buying like three protein shakes a day. I don't like to fast because it's difficult physically. And if you've ever fasted for a prolonged period of time, you know exactly what I'm talking about, that it makes your body weak. You feel like you've been, you've been zapped of your strength. Fasting can be spiritually enlightening and physically exhausting at the same time. To be honest with you, it's pretty safe to say that physically Jesus is miserable. He's probably lost weight. His body has undergone some radical changes as his body has detoxed. He's hungry. No, hungry, to be honest with you, is not a strong enough word. He's famished. He's starving. And that, the Bible says, is when the devil begins to tempt him. Hear me. The devil will always try and attack you when you are at your weakest. He will always try to expose you when you are at your lowest. Whatever you're weak at, the devil will shine a light on. If you struggle with it, he believes that there's a good chance he can make you sin because of it. And he will target always that area of your life. Let me put it to you this way. I never believed that God solicited Jesus to sin through temptation. I, I don't believe that God solicits his children to sin. But it is true that he will allow you to go through a place where you can be tempted by the devil. The word devil in the Greek here in this story is the word diabolos. It means to throw accusations at. Whenever I am weak, that is when the devil always tries to bring up my past. Whenever I am not strong physically, that is when the devil always tries to remind me of who I used to be and what I myself continue to struggle with. He will always try to expose me 
when I am at my weakest? Is God responsible for the temptation? No. God is leading you. He is not tempting you. The devil is the one that is tempting you. Because hear me, from God's point of view, it's a test. But from the devil's point of view, it's a temptation. They are not the same thing. A temptation is simply this. It is a desire to engage in a short-term enjoyment that will threaten a long-term goal. And you have got to remember in Mark chapter 1, the Holy Spirit is driving Jesus into the wilderness. He is driving Jesus into the wilderness because if you remember, he is saying to Jesus, there is a goal that has got to be attained. Satan knew what that goal was in Jesus' life. Satan knew that he had to tempt Jesus. This was the only way. It was the only possible way that Satan realized, I've got to derail Jesus of his future. He knew what the goals of Jesus were. Because you see, Jesus' goal was to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus' goal was to bring life and life abundantly. Jesus' goal was to come into the world and save sinners. And Paul said, I am the chiefest of them all. Jesus' goal was to bridge the gap, to bridge the divide between the Father and his creation. Jesus' goal was to be the way, the truth, and the life. That, my church, was Jesus' goal. That goal of Jesus, the goal will always lead you to your destiny, will always be the goal of Satan to derail. The wilderness is a place of temptation. It's a place to try and derail you of God's intended purpose on your life. But hear me, church, it's not just a place of temptation because the wilderness is also a place of testing. The Bible says that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. The number 40 in biblical numerology, many of you know this, it's a time of testing. The wilderness that Jesus is in in Judea, it's called Quarantel. That in itself means 40. It's a testing season that Jesus is entering. For 40 days, Jesus was to be tested. And this is significant when you begin to break down the biblical definition of the word test because a test means to prove a thing genuine. Jesus was in the wilderness so that he could prove himself worthy and genuine to be the Savior of the world. The next time you feel like you're going through a series of tests, hear me, be of good cheer. God is proving his people genuine.
He's trying to see, can I trust him with my presence? He's trying to see, can I trust her for this task? Can I give them this opportunity? Can I grant them my favor? You will never be promoted without preparation, and you can never be proven prepared without a test. Where is God in the test? It's quiet. I've been praying. I've been seeking, and I haven't heard from him. You've also got to realize that the teacher never talks during the test. Before I was allowed to go to the next grade, I had to take a test. Before I got a passing grade, I, I had to prove my newfound knowledge with a test. Your test means that you are in line for what is next. Look at your neighbor and declare, I'm next, baby. I'm next. I'm ne you ain't next because I is next. But you have to be proven genuine. I said you've got to be proven genuine. Let me say that again. I said you have got to be proven genuine. If God is ever to use you, you have got to prove yourself genuine. The word genuine, it means possessing a character and a quality. It means that you're real. It doesn't mean that you're fake in church. And uh -oh. It means that you're authentic. You want to pass the test? Hear me, young person, have some character. Teenager, have some character. Husband, have some character. I love how John Wooden, the great UCLA coach, put it. Be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think that you are. Because the truth of the matter is many people would be scared if they saw in the mirror not their faces but their character. Oh, my, 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 my. Preach, pastor. That is really, really good. Let me say this, you might have everybody else fooled, but you ain't got God fooled, baby. Everybody else may think that you've got it going on spiritually. You've got 14 of the nine gifts. What? You pray 23 hours a day, and that other hour that you rest, you're just laying in the presence of Jesus. You fast 40 hours a week. You pray while you're trying to have a normal conversation with somebody. How, how many has ever... <laughs> have you ever tried to speak with somebody in the middle of your conversation? Not a I just want to talk about Alabama football. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray blessings upon you. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. Bye. Hear me. Your beauty can catch man's attention, but your character will always catch God's heart. And you will never have character until you are able to go through a wilderness. Because character is like a photograph. 
it develops best in the darkness. Pastor, I want to develop. I want to be a person of character. I want to be proven genuine when I go through the test. I want to be trusted with the next level. I want to turn the page, and I want to enter into what God has for me. What do I do? You will never be a person of character until you allow yourself to be challenged. In the wilderness, the temptation is to take shortcuts, to find the easy way through. The challenge is to move through the struggle and take the hard way. In the wilderness, the temptation is to stray from the values that we hold dear. The challenge is to hold fast to them and live by them. No one's saying anything to me. Let me tell you something. I'm going to hold on to my value. When the world thinks it's okay to kill babies in their mother's wombs, I don't think that's okay. No matter who the president is, no matter what the stance is between both parties, I don't think that that's okay. When the Supreme Court says it's okay to legalize homosexual marriage, I'm thankful that I've got a Supreme Judge who says otherwise, that I will stand before one day. When everybody else says, I've got to change my value, no, 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 baby. I'm not going to take the easy way in the wilderness. I'm going to hold on. To my standard, in the wilderness, the temptation is to listen to voices that would lead us away from God. And the challenge is to continually listen to the voice of the Lord. In the wilderness, the temptation is to substitute stuff in the place of God to make us feel better. The challenge is to live knowing that God is sufficient. How many know that my God is El Shaddai? He is the all-sufficient one. Where do I turn to in times of dryness? I turn to him. In the wilderness, the temptation is to give up, but the challenge is to persevere. Your challenges will produce your character, and your character will prove you genuine, which will, you will then pass your test. But pastor... How do I get out of the wilderness? I've been here for a long time, man. Where do I go? And what direction do I head? First off, be a person of character. But secondly, hear me, look to Christ. I said look to Christ. I said look to Jesus. Because the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, 13, the apostle Paul learned so well that his strength for the wilderness was from outside of himself that he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm thankful that the author of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 16, he said that I've got a high priest, oh goodness gracious, who was able to sympathize with my weakness who in every respect has been tested as I have been yet without sin. Let me therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You want to know why I love to serve Jesus? It's because he understands me when I'm in despair. He 
understands me when I'm in a dry and a weary place. Why? Because he himself has been there too. Whatever wilderness we find ourselves in, Christ understands because he's been there. In every respect, Jesus has gone through what we ourselves are going through. Something so fascinating about this story actually comes at the conclusion of our text. Come play for me. Come give me some sweet Jesus music. And the Bible says that he is departing from the desert. If you remember at the beginning of the text, the Bible says that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. But now, at the end of his tenure in the wilderness, he is no longer just led by the Spirit because the Bible says that now Jesus is full. Oh my God. Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit's power. He was led by the Spirit in the desert, but now he was filled while he was there. The desert, it actually predates his earthly ministry. It's before Jesus ever began to serve in a public manner. It was in the desert that Jesus actually received his power. How can he heal blind eyes? It's because he went through the desert. How can he turn water into wine? It's because he went through the desert. How can he preach and set the captives free? It's because he went through a wilderness time. You want power? some power to preach with authority you want to be able to cast out demons you want to have the ability to heal the sick and to cleanse the leper you want to be able to walk with light that pushes back darkness you want to be able to change a community you want to be able to see a harvest then go through a wilderness and receive just a little bit of power while you are there don't stop the desert it was not just so that Jesus could survive because in Mark's version of the text Mark only gives two verses in all of Mark chapter 1 to this story Luke actually gives an entire chapter but in Mark's version of the story 
Jesus encountered three things while he was there. All of them were not natural. All of them, in other words, were non-human. In Mark's version of the text, Jesus encounters beasts of the field. He had to put up with some beasts, y'all. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't you dare look at your husband. He had to put up with the devil. And then the Bible says that the angels came and they cared for him. They attended to him. You want to do something that is not human? You want some power to do something that is not of this world? You want to be able to operate in the supernatural? Then go to a place that is not natural in the first place. Go to a place where you encounter some unnatural things so that you can do an unnatural work to begin with. And everybody loves to preach the number 40. It's a time of testing. What about the number 41? What happened on day 41 as Jesus exited the desert? What happened that day after he encountered three unnatural things to do an unnatural work? What happened on day 41? You see, 41 is so powerful because 40 means a time of testing. 41 means redemption. to be able to allow Jesus to operate in you to see redemption to return to humanity go through a wilderness because I'm prophesying I feel this how many here were for prayer yesterday raise your hand I said this yesterday in prayer I prophesied this over our house over this church over you that a 41 anointing is coming upon you that a day 41 anointing is coming upon this house that a day 41 is not just here at Edgewater Public School but it's going to meet us at 794 old that a day 41 anointing is going to descend upon you that Jesus Christ is going to redeem humanity how he's going to operate through you some people who have gone through a desert some people who have gone through a wilderness and live to talk about it you've encountered some unnatural things but guess what baby you're about to do an unnatural work you're filled with power so lift your head up because God is not done with you yet somebody stand up on your feet and give God a 15 second break oh don't you stop giving praise if you receive that word a day 41 anointing is coming upon me, Pastor. I'm a candidate for it. I receive it. If that is for me, so let me ask you, is there anybody that's here today that wants some power to, to, to return in your life? 
Is there anybody that doesn't just want to be led by the Spirit, but you want to be full of the Spirit? Is there anybody here that's going through a test and you say, Pastor, I want to be proven genuine. I want to be a person of character. Is there anybody here today that says, Pastor, I want to go to my next level. I want to turn the chapter. I've been in the wilderness long enough. God led me there, and I'm believing today he's going to lead me out of there because promotion is on the other side of my desert. If that's you, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something pretty radical in just a moment. You know, you're in a Pentecostal church if you didn't realize that. You want to grow? You got to get out of your comfort zone because nothing grows there. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to do something pretty radical with me. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your pew or that uncomfortable bench thing. Whatever the appropriate term is for that that you're sitting on with your blessed assurance. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to get up out of your seat and to come down to these altars and I want to lay hands upon you. Because I am believing as we are now entering into the fall season that the Holy Spirit is going to fall on this house. I prophesy that. And I don't know about you, but I want to end this year stronger than we have ever been in our life. We have got three months to make it count. I said we've got three months to make it count. And God is wanting to use you. What a great opportunity it is during this election season where all the other churches are experiencing turmoil and mutiny and all that. We're not going to be experiencing that. There's unity that's rising up out of these seats. And people are going to walk unified with power. It only comes from one high. So if you're ready on the count of three, this one I'm going to ask you to do. You've been going through a wilderness time. You've been in it. It's made you uncomfortable, but you've grown from it. In just a minute, I want you to get out of your pew. You've gone through a wilderness time. You want to be a person of character. In just a minute, I want you to get out of your pew. You want some power? In just a minute, I want you to get out of your pew. One. Is there anybody here that wants this? Is there anybody here that wants this? Two. Is there anybody here that wants some power? Two and a half. Don't come if you don't want this. Don't come if it makes you too uncomfortable. Don't come because you're, you're more in tune with how others think than what the Spirit thinks. Two and three quarters. Wow, people are already coming. If you want some power, if you want to grow, you want to pass a test, you want to walk in integrity, Three, get out of your pew and come on down here in the name of Jesus Christ. Pastor, I've been going through a wilderness. Pray for me. I want God to use me. I want to operate in the supernatural. Raise your hands all over this place. If you're down in these altars, raise your hands. Get ready. 